0: Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amage Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's Chestnut Hill Technologies. Com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back once again to another Minutes with Mute podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. We're joined by Scott Mutrin. You can hear him for every B.C. football game on the Learfield IMG Sports Radio Network Silent Reporter. And he was there, ladies and gentlemen, on the sidelines for that tough, tough, tough loss. No other way to spin it. 48-24. Kansas dominates B.C. In a lot of categories, but what sticks out, too, is the defense allowing 567 total yards overall and 324 yards rushing, so a tough loss. Uh, Kansas was 0-48 in road games, the last previous 48 road games uh, against Power 5 teams, so that stopped their skid going back. To 2008, so BC looks to regroup against Rutgers, and as we welcome Scott in, uh, Scott, let's just get your thoughts, jet, from a big, big picture outlook uh, with that Kansas game.
1: Well, since you started on the defense, uh, you, I'll be happy to, to kind of go and give my thoughts along that line. You know, BC gets an interception early to, to give them a ten nothing lead, and then and then force a, you know force the three and out, then get the turnover. I think. After that, you just saw some, some maybe some mental errors and some missed assignments on defense. I don't know if they were trying to get complex in the scheme, and that caused some guys to to overthink some things. But uh, BC didn't do a good job of, of gap containment. It was one of the things I kind of mentioned that uh, Puka, Puka Williams and, and Herbert or running backs that aren't one-cut-and-get-up-the-field guys. They're more of, you know, dance in the backfield, wait for a hole, and look to to kind of shoot through that hole. And they really exploited BC's inability to maintain gap integrity. And, and, you know, the perfect play to describe that was the the Herbert run, the 82-yard run at the end of the first half after BC goes up uh, 24-to-21, Kansas is ready to give up for the halftime, and and B.C. loses gap control and allows Kansas to to rip off a huge run, and and that's just, you know, Kansas is looking to get into halftime, and they were getting the ball to start the second half, and B.C. just didn't execute. And I think you're seeing some of the inexperience. They may be, you know, older guys in stature, but they haven't had a lot of game experience, and I think that's, you know, those live reps are really, you know, starting to take face and to see um, these guys that are still learning on the fly and still, you know, maybe trying to do too much, and, and so much of sound defensive football is, is doing your job, and, you know, you hear it a lot in this area because of Bill Belichick, and it's like, if your job's to plug the A-gap, you plug the A-gap. I don't need you trying to shoot, you know, shoot through both gaps and get this guy and Elaine to run, and at least from some of the things that looked like BC was either over pursuing or not doing a good job of containing everything and bringing it back to their help on defense. So that hurt. And then in the secondary aspect, I, I thought, I thought they almost gave Kansas a little too much respect. I thought they were playing a little too far off given that five to seven yard cushion and Kansas was able to just hit some, some easy underneath and crossing routes that enabled, uh, Stanley, their quarterback, to get into a nice rhythm, and he was on the ropes for a while at the beginning of that game. And I, anytime you you give quarterback, you know, easy, quick throws, you allow them to get some confidence, and if you're not getting any pressure on them. It's it's tough to really rattle them. So you combine all those things. I, I think I would like to see them uh, maybe go a little more man, and maybe a little more press coverage force. Uh, For Stanley to hit some deep throws and and under some pressure, and I think that would have been a nice little change-up, but uh, a ability to get to the passer, and I think that that's something that they need to resolve uh, quickly, or or it's going to be tough on that secondary for the the
0: rest of the season. Were you surprised Les Miles? I heard him after the game. They introduced... Uh, the run-pass option offense—they really didn't utilize it against Coastal Carolina. They started to do it against BC, and it, it sounded like it really spread out the offense uh, for the Jayhawks, Scott.
1: Yeah, I think it helped them. And you know, although BC didn't see it on tape, they faced this offense enough times over yes. the years that it shouldn't have been—it shouldn't have been a shock for them. But you also have to understand is. My thoughts on it: you need to you need to coach to your personnel and to, to your to their strengths. And so much of that is you know what other offenses maybe want to do, but you can't put guys in positions to do things that either they're not equipped to do or it's just not their strong suit. And you try to match up personnel, whether it's bringing an extra defensive back on the field or an extra linebacker uh, to stop the to stop the run, but you also have to understand the capabilities of the guys that are out there and, and maybe even the mental capacity and the scheme in which you're trying to run. So if, if guys aren't comfortable doing that, then all of a sudden they're thinking a little too much. And when you're in, on defense, if you're thinking about making a play or your responsibility, then you're already a step slow. And that's the stuff that, that ends up giving up big plays. So you got to take the good you know, with the bad, and you got to understand and respect the fact that these Coach Sheridan and Coach Dazier are, are trying to coach to the, to the guys they got and their talent and capability levels that they need to do that, and, and they don't want to put their guys in a position where they're going to fail. So I, I really think a lot of it is some of the guys were maybe just overthinking, especially in the back end. I thought there were some plays that could have been made um, in the passing game where they could have either made an interception or a big hit. And, and then I think some of the linebackers just got a little over aggressive in their in their lanes and just overran some plays that allowed uh, you know Williams and Herbert to cut back and get some explosive plays.
0: Okay, Scott, let's shift gears. How would you grade out the offense just briefly? How would you how do they play? And obviously up seventeen to seven, but then in the second half put up a goose egg, zero points.
1: Well, they started out great, and you know AJ. The first drive was a great drive. AJ Dillon look, looked very strong. You know what you come to expect, and it's it's actually sad that you know that the expectations are so high for him right now, and especially at the beginning of the year, people were wondering those first two games why he wasn't doing more. But he looked great to start that game. Um, Anthony Brown had, had a, an okay start, and then it kind of deteriorated for for him. I think. Although he was 16 for, for 32, I believe, a lot of those completions weren't, you know, ones where they he was letting his receivers run with the ball after the catch. There were a lot of guys having to go down or guys being stopped or guys getting tackled right away or, or, or not catching the ball cleanly. And I think he would be the one to tell you that, you know, he needs to tighten that up and, and take some ownership on that and be able to... To get better and allow his receivers to make plays and get the ball in their hands in better opportunities, uh, he did it. You know, a couple a couple good good shots uh, down the seam and stuff, and he's been able to throw that deep ball. I just think he's really struggling in the intermediate passing game and the drop back game. That's that's something that I think Kansas noticed. And after the first quarter and maybe even the first half. Kansas really decided that they were going to make uh, Anthony Brown beat them in the dropback game. And and then also their offense, BC couldn't stop them, they scored seven straight – Kansas scored seven straight possessions. I think BC started to press a little bit. I think even – not just Anthony, I think overall as a unit. And they go two three-and-outs in the third quarter, which killed them. I think they only had 34 yards of total offense in the third quarter. So – their inability to stay on the field and get behind where they they ideally wanted to be caused them to press a little bit and get outside their comfort zone. So it was more like a snowball thing that or that just kept it kept getting worse and worse as 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 time went on during the game and and for the offense I think that they just got away from what they do best, but they were kind of forced that hand because there is the inability to stop Kansas At one point, I know Kansas was 8-for-10 on third down, and that's, that's a tough stat for the defense because if you can't get off the field, you're not allowing BC's offense to do what they do best. And BC did all right on third down conversions, but those first two possessions of the second half really hurt them because they weren't able to stay on the field, and Kansas was able to score two touchdowns, and that kind of put... BC significantly behind the eight ball as you got late into the third quarter, early fourth.
0: And then just to put a bow tie the third unit, how would you grade out special teams? Um, so, missed field goals, punting, uh, kickoffs, how would the uh, special teams grade out for you? Well, the
1: kickoffs were getting uh, needed to get a little bit deeper. If you're not going to kick it deep, they need to be high. You can't give away field position that, that easily if you're not kicking it into the end zone. So, I think that hurt BC and a couple times punting wasn't bad. They, they didn't do poorly, uh, covering punts and giving up any big punt returns. But then, uh, field goal wise, you make one and then miss one. But that was kind of along the lines in the second half of everything going wrong for BC at that point. So, I mean, I, you kind of didn't expect anything, but after everything that had kind of happened up until that point, you know, they needed another score. You knew it was a three score game and it, it just slides, right. Uh, to its credit it it looks good coming off the foot so I think there's some hope there it's not as negative as you want to say but or feel but uh, you know still not ideal you want to be able to make 39 yard field goals and make them feel like that they're automatic so in general I would say all three units would say they they had a lot of work to do and things they need to improve on so that's that's something that you know Steve Dazio is going to have to take care of this week in practice and get ready for Rutgers.
0: And just take a big picture look too. I had a lot of people come up to you, hey, what's up with BC? What's going on? Do you think in European Scott is this a blip on the radar, or do you think this is a trend that uh, you know similar to like they were, they were able to recover from the Purdue loss last year, right? What do you, how do you think it plays out with here with Kansas game three as we hope, as you mentioned Rutgers and down the road the ACC? Well,
1: it depends who you ask. You know, because some people think that this is a you know a seven-year trend that has been going on since Steve adagio has been there. Some people think that this is a thirty-five-year trend where BC perpetually lets people down after they they look like they have a promising uh, a promising outlook. I, I tend, as I've gotten older, and I don't even know if I want to use the term wiser, <laughs> as I've gotten older, um, I've come to find out that although it's the same coach and you may have some of the same players is that every year it's a different team and every team individual team has its own identity whether it's leadership whether it's players whether it's newcomers whether it's veterans there's always a mix of something different in each and every team and each and every team has to find its own identity and the leadership in the locker room depends a lot on whether they bring people together or tear people apart I've seen and I've been a part of locker rooms where guys are in for themselves and they don't care really about the overall quality of the team. And then I've been in locker rooms where guys would kill for the team and the team would kill for them. So I trust the leadership of this group. I think the two captains, Tanner Carafa and Benny Glines, are two of the hardest-working, tough-minded kids that you have out there that aren't afraid to be vocal. I think you have A.J. Dillon and Anthony Brown who are leaders there that are going to, take charge of this situation. I choose to give them the benefit of the doubt. Others haven't. I, I don't think one game necessarily makes a trend. I think sometimes things go wrong. You try to correct them. Those other things happen to pile on, and before you know it, you just can't get your arms around it. Now, can you, can you fix it? Some of these things look like they're fixable, um, and that's going to come from within that locker room, but I, I feel strongly that the players especially that this is a strong group that's mentally strong and, and, and play for each other. So I feel that that was a, a tough game. One, you definitely wanted to, to win, but they need to rebound and, and, have, and beat Rutgers this weekend and really kind of get their, their footing underneath them because the way that the ACC is constructed right now with how everyone stands, besides Clemson, everything's up for grabs. I, I, every, every team has question marks and glaring question marks on, on the rest of the schedule. Although on paper, I know it looks tough because you have Florida State and Louisville and Clemson and Notre Dame, but there are guys on that schedule that they're, they're trying to work through some things as well. So it all depends on which, which team can grow and get better the quickest and take advantage
0: of it versus the other one. And I, have you know, I tend to agree too. I was in the post game players press conference. And I think even Anthony Brown said they this will not happen again. So, uh, you know, obviously you could sense the disappointment with the players, but, uh, There's no question. There's a lot to be work on. We thought we were talking a couple weeks ago the team would be 4-0 after this win against Rutgers coming up. So we had to backpedal a little bit too. But let's talk about that Rutgers game. And, you know, specifically what does it mean for BC and recruiting? I think there's over 10 players on the roster from New Jersey, Scott. Uh, So a big weekend uh, against a Big Ted team in Rutgers, New Jersey, on Saturday.
1: Yeah, they're an old Big East rival. Played them, you know, back in the day when I was there, we'd play Rutgers every year remember most of the games that we had versus them, and there's 17 guys on the roster from New Jersey uh, for, for BC, so it's a, it's a fertile ground for Boston College recruiting, and there's no doubt that Chris Ash, the head coach, coach of Rutgers, knows this, and he's got to win some of those players back, and he's got to, you know, this is an important win for them, so he can show... Those local guys that, hey, what are you going to BC for to play? You should be coming here, and, and BC needs to win because they say, hey, this is the reason that you're coming to play at BC. You're playing on a big level versus big teams uh, that you're going to be able to compete in week in and week out. So That's, that's the battle. This isn't just a, a game on the field. This is a recruiting battle. I really feel strongly about that, that the, the winner of this game gets those bragging rights, and that matters a lot. And Chris Ash is, is kind of on the hot seat there at Rutgers. He's kind of four years in, and people will have some expectations that maybe he hasn't lived up to so far. So he's going to have these guys ready. They're on. They're coming off a bye week. I think Steve Dazio and the leadership of that team and his and his locker room. There's not those guys are going to be ready to go because there's nothing worse or more disappointing or or I think disappointing more upsetting than when you are from a certain area and you play the local team and if you lose you got to go back there and see all your buddies that are from there during thanksgiving and during christmas and summer when you have to go back and listen to the guys that you grew up with you know giving you giving you hell about losing to you know to the local team that there's nothing worse than that so i'm sure that there's going to be some some shoulders back and pride going for for these Jersey guys on the BC roster that they want to go and be able to have their bragging rights when they go back home for the holidays and, and not just uh, you know get grief based on uh, losing to to the local team.
0: Do you have a favorite moment playing against Rutgers in your career?
1: Well, I mean, my last year, I had, I had an okay game. I ran for a couple touchdowns. We won. It was the start of us going. I started three and zero. So that was it. Was the I believe the second or third game in the season, so it was a nice start for us. Uh, so the wins were few to come by that year; there were only four of them. So I do remember those, and it was it was a good W. My uh, my sons actually found a VHS tape of the Rutgers game, and actually asked about it this week. Uh, I was a little scared to pop it in, and I still am scared to pop it in because you always tend to be better in your mind than you are on the tape, so I want to just keep that performance in my mind great <laughs> performance instead of watching it and confirming that maybe I was as, as
0: terrible as I think I am. Well, Scott, what? before we let you go, this is the first road trip. Are you excited to hit the road? Do you have any favorite spots to go around Rutgers? What's your plan for the weekend?
1: Well, so here's the thing. I'm actually driving down to the game. I have a... Um, My oldest son is actually playing some hockey in Connecticut on Friday. So I'm heading down with him either Thursday or Friday early to go watch him play. And then I'm going to drive to Piscataway from Connecticut early Saturday morning to catch this noon kickoff. So I'm going to be hanging out in Stamford, Connecticut on Friday night. And I do have a couple nice places over there um, that are always a a good place to go over by Chelsea Piers. There's a great pizza spot owned by the um, the Connecticut uh, baseball guys that uh, Chris Drury, I believe, owns the place and yes. all his buddies that won the Little League World Series. So
0: Trumble, drawing
1: Trumbull. a blank. It's yeah, the Trumble guys, but I'm drawing a blank on the name of the the place, and they're gonna kill me because every time I go. Uh, we usually head to this place, although I'm still in the body transformation that I can't eat pizza, but I'm sure we'll take, we'll be, you know, the team will want to go to this place, and uh, it, it should be a good time.
0: Yeah, I think I'm, I think it's called the Colony Restaurant. I, I, Co- colony the Grill.
1: Colony. My apologies to the only owners of the Colony. You have a great spot. <laughs> the pizza is phenomenal. Highly <laughs> recommend it if you're ever in the area. It's only about couple minutes from Chelsea Piers in Stanford, so that's a good spot to go to. Um, I'll probably have to like pack some meal that I eat. So, you know, we gotta keep the body transformation in line and, and everything organized. Otherwise it'll go downhill quickly. You
0: also you got Bobby V's too. Bobby Valentine's Place is down there, nice sports bar as well. So that's good though. Sna- oh. Stanford's not too far away maybe from I'll Jersey. i will go see
1: that. Yeah, maybe we'll go to Bobby V's. We'll see. <laughs> I like to try I like to try like the like the local places and and stuff like that. I'm not the big I'm not into the chains and I'm not into, you know, some of the other like touristy traps. I like where the I like where the real people hang out. I like to get my elbows dirty with with the locals.
0: You you you'll see some real people cuz it's Bobby V's is also an OTB. You can bend the horses too, so. You'll see some real, yeah. You'll see the real neighborhood.
1: Right, I don't have an itch to scratch on that part of (laughs) things, but I'm sure you know it's always nice to meet some people there. That's always an interesting dynamic to add to the to the group.
0: (laughs) Well, Scott, hey, we'll be listening Saturday. BC Rutgers as the Eagles look to kind of rebound and get to three and one. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks, Mike. It was uh, great to see you last week. Sorry that uh, it wasn't a more enjoyable game.
0: Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's ChestnutHillTechnologies.com.